Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Sports Tonight. Once again, flying solo. I'm sports producer Scott Pennyman. Hey, we have a lot um, a lot of football to talk about today. Um, I'm actually just, once again, I'm just fresh in the door from Falcons training camp. Uh, a whole lot going on out there today. It's um, some good, some not so good, all right? So I'm one of those people, like, I like the bad news first because it just makes me feel like I have something to look forward to, right? If you tell the, the good news first, it's like, okay, what's coming this bad? So let's get to the bad news first. So in offseason, they traded for Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from the Detroit Lions, former number three overall pick uh, in the draft. And so he left practice today with an ankle injury. They were sort of doing individual drills. Uh, we were shooting video. Most of us didn't even get any video of it because it was kind of on the other side of the field and it was past the period where we were allowed to shoot video. So he goes down uh, with an injury. He gets carted off. Uh, Coach Arthur Smith, after practice, said basically they're waiting on the MRI. They're not really sure where he's at right now physically, but you did see a lot of guys sort of kneeling and praying afterwards. So it looks like it wasn't really good. It wasn't a... Uh, you know, a good scene, apparently. So he was carted off. Um, Coach Arthur Smith, was he was a little more optimistic about it, though. He said he's seen some really bad injuries before. It didn't look that bad. So we'll just wait and see. Hopefully everything comes back good there. Look, this was one of those seasons where um, a guy like Jeff Okuda was looking to really bounce back. He spent a few seasons up in Detroit. He was a really, really highly touted guy coming into the NFL draft. I mean, like I said, he was drafted. Uh, top five draft pick. So he had really huge expectations up in Detroit. His level of play was kind of up and down. He dealt with some injuries, but his potential was real, really strong. So they talked a whole lot about this offseason, about uh, him getting another chance, him getting a breath of fresh air, um, and basically just getting back to some of the things that made him a uh, top prospect coming out of Ohio State. Uh, so... Uh, really sad for him if this is a long-term injury because I really feel like he was going to be a, an important piece to this team, to this defense. Uh, when you figure he uh, had the opportunity to be starting opposite of A.J. Terrell, I mean, that had the opportunity to be – it still has. Let me not say had. That has the opportunity to be a really good cornerback tandem. So let's hope he bounces back and um, let's hope the injury isn't serious. Uh, let's hope he bounces back and has the kind of season that I'm sure he knows that he can have. And me just watching him. I mean, I'm a big Ohio State fan, and I watched Jeff Okuda at Ohio State. I mean, he was a lockdown corner. He was really good. And sometimes better situations can bring out better play in some people, right? I mean, I mean that's true not just in sports but in the work world, right? I mean, you may be somewhere, and they may not be able to get the best out of you. You go somewhere else where you feel good about things, you feel good about the pieces they have in place, and it brings out a better you. And I think that's what Jeff Okuda was really hoping for this year, being in Atlanta, being with the Falcons, um, leaving the Detroit Lions organization, uh, just getting a fresh new start. So let's hope everything goes good there. So... And also, uh, one of the more interesting th parts of practice today, uh, Matt Ryan, the former uh, great quarterback of the Falcons, was out there at camp today. He was out there with his, with his little sons and really just having a good time uh, watching practice, sort of observing. Remember, Matt is not officially retired yet, he, uh, but he is expected to spend the season at CBS um, being an analyst. I believe he's going to be a studio analyst, but he'll be a football analyst at CBS. Um, so it, it was just really good just to 
see him back in the building. Everybody around that facility uh, seems to really have a lot of respect for Matt and what he did for the organization, um, just how good of a player he was. I mean, Arthur Smith talked about it um, afterwards. And he talked about the one year he spent with Matt. The guy was nothing but class. Grady Jarrett spoke very highly of Matt after practice and talked about, hey, man, you know, we – we spent a lot of years here together, so he, he has a tremendous amount of respect for Matt Ryan as a person and what he did. And he talked about how no matter what Matt does, no matter what he decides moving forward, he's going to be successful at it. Um, so, yeah, uh, Cordell Patterson talked some, too. He spent a year with Matt, I do believe. So he talked about, um, you know, Matt. And there's just a whole lot of respect in that building for Matt, and I think they hope once he officially retires, that he's going to spend a lot of time around the building uh, just sort of doing things. And it seems like he's very welcome. Arthur uh, Blank, the owner, talked about him too and talked about, hey, you know, he's the, the best quarterback in the history of the organization. So I think they want him around as much as possible, especially if he retires, you know, within the next year or so. It'd really be cool to see him spend some time around Desmond Ritter and maybe help, uh, maybe help mold him into the quarterback that he – can be because look, I mean Matt Ryan. You can say whatever you want about Matt Ryan. I mean he's one of the he's one of the better he was one of the better quarterbacks of his era, and certainly the best quarterback the Falcons organization has ever seen. So yeah, I mean if you can have that guy back in the building and have him being a positive influence on the current quarterbacks, on guys like Desmond Ritter, who you hope is going to be your next franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean that's a great thing. That's a great thing to have, no matter how you slice it. So good to see Matty Ice. Back out there at practice today. So, big weekend for the NFL as a whole. Um, NFL Hall of Fame weekend this weekend. Lots of really um, strong inductees. And I, always, I joke around a lot. Like, you know you're getting old when a lot of these guys who are being inducted into the Hall of Fame, you remember when they were drafted, right? I mean, some of these guys were drafted 05 or 06, and they're going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That makes people in my age group start to feel really old, right? <laughs> but um, I can't help but think of some of these guys who are going in this weekend, right? So I'm not going to go through all of them, but just to talk about some of the more um, – the names that sort of pop out to me as far as their careers and what I remember seeing. So, I'll, of course, I'll start with Joe Thomas. So Joe Thomas I've talked a lot about. I'm very unapologetically a Cleveland Browns fan. Joe Thomas was one of the things – that you could look forward to every Sunday. He was about the only thing as a Browns fan that you could look forward to every single Sunday because you knew he was the one constant. You knew no matter what, he was going to play good football. He was going to do his job very well. And you talk to people who had to go against him on a regular basis, guys who played for the Bengals, uh, uh, guys like James Harrison who faced him a couple times a year uh, while he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, guys with the Ravens like Terrell Suggs. We're talking about all-time great pass rushers, uh, some of the best pass rushers of their era that had so much respect for Joe Thomas. They all said, look, hands down, when they were talking to James Harrison on one TV special I saw, and they asked him, who's the guy who you had the most trouble with during your time in the NFL as far as being able to get to the quarterback? The man didn't hesitate. He said, Joe Thomas, flat out. You know, so that just let you know the kind of player that Joe was. And just being around Cleveland during that time, I just know the kind of person he was. I mean, he was uh, so much, so well-loved in the community. And let's face it, when you have such a bad organization like they've had for since 1999, such a limited amount of wins, I think they have the most losses in the NFL in that time span. 
just knowing the fact that you had a Hall of Fame player that came from that era, uh, it really makes it sort of kind of weird, right? I mean, I didn't think anybody, you know, just kind of watching that time. When a team is so bad for that long, you don't think they have anybody from an era that's going to be a Hall of Fame player. But they had the best left tackle in the game for a 10-year span. So just really good to see Joe going to Canton right down the road from where he played at. He spent his whole uh, 11-year career with the Cleveland Browns. So just really good to see him getting his respect and really good to see him going to Canton. Uh, another guy who, Darrell Revis. So I was really thinking the other day about my short list of best players that I've ever seen play that position. Darrell Revis to me, I mean, my list starts with number one. You got Deion Sanders, the former Falcon, the Falcon great. Uh, now Coach Prime, who's with... University of Colorado, coaches football there. He unquestionably is the number one cornerback on my list. I would say number two on my list, as far as guys I've watched, would probably be Ty Law. Um, He's in the Hall of Fame, too. And then number three on that list might be Darrell Revis. Just when you think about, and I'm going to say he's the third best corner I've ever seen. Maybe it's really hard to not put him at number two ahead of Ty Law. I guess the reason I put him below Ty Law is because I saw Ty Law come up with so many big plays and big games for the Patriots and him winning a couple Super Bowls for them. He really had some really, really big plays, especially when they played against like the Colts and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. He that man showed up. That man showed up for the biggest games and the biggest moments for that team. So that's why I'm putting Ty Law at number two. But Darrell Revis is a really close three. And because I think about the era Darrell Revis played in, when I think about the amount of how the NFL changed in that time, where Revis played in the era where teams threw the ball all over the field, where the rules changed, where you could barely put your hands on a quarterback, where you can barely put your hands on wide receivers. And he was able to just flat out dominate some of the best receivers of his era. I mean, when he went against the Calvin Johnsons, the Steve Smiths and all those guys, I mean, he was able to lock those guys down. So when you think about what Darrell Revis meant to the NFL during that time and how he played his position, it's really hard to say he's not one of the top three best cornerbacks to ever play the game. Um, Because in an era where it became increasingly difficult to be a lockdown corner, he was a lockdown corner. Um, And so... Rest of the guys on that list, Demarcus Ware, the great pass rusher from the Cowboys, had a really good career, one of the best of his era getting to the quarterback. He was one of the all-time greats to play his position. Uh, and then Rondé Barber. Uh, it took him a little while to get in. In Tampa, he was – that guy was a turnover machine. I remember watching Tampa Bay Buccaneers games during that era with Warren Sapp and those guys and uh, John Lynch and all those guys. And, man, Rondé Barber was a guy – that was always around the football. Like, to me, he was like the Ed Reed of the cornerback position. That ball would find Rondé Barber. I mean, it'd be, no matter what, I mean, just just thinking back, when I'm thinking about the uh, the best Rondé Barber plays I've seen, that 2002 NFC Championship game against the Eagles. Eagles were driving late in that game. Uh, Tampa Bay was trying to stop him and kind of seal it. It was Rondé Barber who had a pick six to put that game away. And he just it just seemed like there were so many plays like that from Rondé over his career. 
And, and I just knew it was a matter of time before he got into the Hall of Fame. Because when you think about those Tampa Bay Buccaneer defenses, of course you think Warren Sapp, you think uh, John Lynch, you think Derrick Brooks. But Rondé Barber, he played in Tampa longer than all those guys. And he was con as consistent as anybody who really during his era at that position. You know, I mean, when you think about how he played the position, he really changed the position uh, as far as just, you know, he was a guy who wasn't necessarily your your typical cover corner. He was a guy that would blitz off the edge, wreak havoc, and he really thrived in that Monty Kiffin, uh, you know, uh, Tampa 2 defense. Uh, he was he was big time in that defense. So I remember watching him a lot growing up and just the difference-making plays that he made. And he's truly a Hall of Famer in my book. So before we get out of here, though, so NFL.com, I was kind of scrolling with them earlier, and I saw Maurice Jones-Drew, who's with NFL.com. He had his list of top 10 quarterbacks heading to the NFL season, and it really caught my eye because this is probably the best list I've seen of any of these top 10 quarterback lists because some of them make me raise my eyebrows a little bit, like, really, you know? But I think Maurice Jones-Drew – this is one of the more solid lists that I've seen. I'll just go through it pretty quickly here. You got Patrick Mahomes at number one. I don't think a human being on earth is going to argue that. You got Joe Burrow at number two. Um, I, I, I'd say that's pretty, I say that's pretty uh, safe bet to say he's the second best quarterback. Now, you might get some people to argue that Josh Allen, who's at number three, maybe should be number two. I'd say Burrow would be number two. I mean, he beat him uh, pretty handily in the playoffs last year. Uh, so, I'd have no issues with Joe Burrow being at number two. Jalen Hurts at number four. Now, that's a surprise because I think he should be at number four personally, but I've seen so many lists around that had Jalen Hurts at, you know, past, you know, number seven or number eight. But when you look at how he's progressed the last few years, when you look at Jalen Hurts and the player that he's become in the last couple years, all the way to basically being a franchise quarterback and a type of quarterback that we can definitely see leading his team to a championship one day, led his team to the Super Bowl last year, played great in that Super Bowl. I have no problems with Jalen Hurts being number four. And just to kind of round the rest of the list, we got Lamar Jackson at number five. We got Justin Herbert at number six. I think that's fair. Deshaun Watson at number seven. I think when you look at talent and ability-wise and what he's been in the NFL, I really have no problem with him being at number seven. Uh, Trevor Lawrence at number eight. Um, really had a breakout season uh, last year after kind of a throwaway year, his rookie year, because he was being coached by Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer, for, for as great as of a college coach as he was for uh, at Florida and for my Ohio State Buckeyes, he sucked that bad as a uh, NFL head coach in his time in Jacksonville. So... It was kind of understood that Trevor, it was kind of like a throwaway season a couple of years ago that he had. But last year, he really broke out, had a big year, and now he looks like he's going to be one of the great young quarterbacks of his era. Uh, number nine, Aaron Rodgers. Some may think that's a little bit low, but when you think about it, Aaron Rodgers, um, I guess if you really look at it like maybe he's kind of on the decline of his career where he's not the great you know, top two or three quarterback that he's been. However, uh, he's still really good, and I think the Jets, uh, they really feel that they have a guy who in the advanced stages of his career can help them get to where they want to go. So I think it's fair having him at number nine. And number 10, Dak Prescott. I've got no issues there. When you look at regular season, Dak Prescott puts up some of the best numbers of any quarterback in the league. He just flops out come playoff time, right? I mean, that's just what <laughs> it's been with Dak Prescott. I don't think anybody's going to argue that during the regular season, Dak Prescott puts up as good a numbers as anybody. But in the playoffs, that man is nowhere to be found. He's pretty much like the James Harden of pro football where this guy, 25, 30 points a game in the regular season, 
postseason, the guy falls flat on his face. I don't know whether he just doesn't prepare the same way or what. He just doesn't get it done come postseason, so I get why he's at number 10, basically from his regular season performances, but come playoff time, he ain't it. It is what it is, right? So, hey, that's been sports tonight here on a Friday. I want you guys to enjoy your weekend here. Football's back in full swing. Uh, enjoy some of that. Enjoy some training camps. Uh, preseason games really starting to go on, are, are going to be getting in full swing pretty soon. So let's just enjoy football. It's back, everybody. That's sports tonight on a Friday. I'm sports producer Scott Pennyman. I'll see you later.